Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Wow, I've been dreading this service. Wow, look, look at this. I, I knew this. It's like, you guys are going to be so tired today, aren't you? Like, how many of you are just, admit it, you're tired. You're just like, yeah, see, I, I knew it. I knew it. So we're, get, we're going to have to have like a contract right at the beginning. You cannot fall asleep on me, all right? Uh, but uh, hey, a couple of things as we, we go into our time of teaching. First of all, my name is Mike, and I, I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And if you're, you're brand new here, we're just excited you're here. I mean, we're, God's on the move here, and we're growing, and, and we're praying that God would bring his people who are hungry to grow, hungry to know him. And so if you're here, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, see you as an answer to our prayers. And so uh, uh, secondly, I just want to kind of cap on that children's ministry thing. You know, uh, in, the, in the fall and in the spring, we, uh, every year we do uh, just kind of recruiting drive. And obviously children's ministry, one of the most very more, most important ministries in our church. I mean, this is the future. We talk about unleashing a movement of passionate Christ followers. It starts there with our own kids. And uh, Jennifer mentioned it actually takes about 250 people to, to staff our children's ministry because you work kind of two weeks on, two weeks off. Uh, so it's not a full-time thing. Uh, and, and we do need about 50 people. Um, one of the things I was sharing the last uh, uh, services was this, that uh, we really are growing as a church. You probably sense that uh, even in our children's ministry. As we look to the year, we're not even sure facility-wise how we're going to kind of take care of all our kids as this year goes on. And so what that means, though, if we're serious about unleashing a movement, uh, that, that part of that is serving sacrificially. We often talk about that. And so uh, if you're here today and you hate kids... Um, this is probably not the ministry for you. God's got a place for you somewhere else. But if you love kids and you see the potential in kids and your kind of heart's kind of drawn towards kids, but maybe you haven't been willing to step up so far because, well, it would mean like changing services or going twice or I can't be in the main service all the time. I just want to remind you that, that unleashing a movement takes sacrificial service. And so I would just call you out. And, you know, whether the Holy Spirit is calling you or not, uh, I am. And uh, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll team up on that one. Uh, and so I'll just, be the, I'll just be kind of the first invitation. He'll be the second one. But I just want to alert you. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is going to be com- coming to talk to you. And so uh, I just encourage you to be really open to that because uh, we, we love our kids. And we, we just want to make, I can't tell you, every week or every month, you know, we have these next step desserts in our house that we get the, to meet the new people. We always ask, why did you come the first time? Why did you come back? And I can't tell you how many people said, man, our kids just love it. They, they run, you know, it's like they, they just run to, to, to uh, the class. And, and because of that, uh, not only are they being taught and, and growing, but because of that, we can relax as parents and, and we can come and we can grow. And so it's just a win-win for everybody. So I just want to put that kind of high on your, your radar. And so uh, with that, we're going to go into our time of teaching. And, and so inside your program is a, a message note sheet, and uh, I would encourage you to take that out. If you, especially if you're new, you won't know that. You want to pull that out so that uh, we, can, we can jump in. So are you all ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just pray that you show up. We pray that this would be about you. We pray that you would capture our affections, you would capture our attention. We pray that we would surrender to you at a new level so we could experience you living, moving, shaping, molding us to be like your son. We, we come today hungry to learn, hungry to grow, ready to sit around your word and learn from you. And so we pray now you'd come by your spirit and be our teacher. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Our story starts today. It's, it's father-son story. And uh, we're not really sure exactly how the story starts, exactly what age it began, but but it's a scary story. The first time it happened to his son, it just, it just terrified him. He never felt so helpless in all his life watching his son go through this. And uh, since then, it would happen often. And when the spirit would come and kind of manifest in his son, his son would, would go into like a uh, kind of a spasms, lose total control of his body, fall to the ground, uh, shake, uh, uh, writhe in, in pain. It was almost like an epileptic seizure, and yet it was so, so much more than that. And uh, over the years, these seizures had left his son to where he cannot speak any longer. He can't, he can't hear any longer. He's left in his own dark world. And, and in these moments, uh, just absolutely terrifying, and his father's heart would just break for his son. And so as you, as you might expect, that they'd done everything they could. His wife and him, they'd searched out the finest doctors. They'd, they'd taken him to the, the, the kind of top spiritual authorities in their life for, for special prayer. They'd asked all their friends to pray, and yet nothing had helped. And, and, and 
often his son's life was actually in danger. I mean, actually, they thought they were going to lose him. And so that's why on this particular day that this father and his son have traveled to this, this city where they're hoping to get some help finally uh, at last. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing the series that, that we've been in just for three weeks. And for those of you who are brand new, I, I really do want to welcome you. Uh, we, we are praying as a church. You know, our, our vision here as a church is to unleash a movement of what we call passionate Christ followers. And we're praying that God would bring us people who, who want to join us in that movement, people that really want to know God, experience God, be transformed by God, and then go out and transform the world. And so we're praying God would bring those people, and we're seeing those prayers answered. And so if you're here and, and there's a hunger in your heart to grow with us, we're so glad you're here. We see as an answer to those prayers. But uh, I, I want to step back just for a minute and give you a snapshot of where this series is going, what it's about. Uh, th- this series is a, a based on a letter from one of the, the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. Uh, his name is James. He is a, uh, uh, not only a follower of Jesus, he was the brother of Jesus, half-brother, younger brother. And uh, he became a key leader in the early movement. And so he's writing this letter to some Jewish Christ followers who are scattered through the Roman Empire, possibly due to persecution, uh, uh, very early in the movement of Jesus. And so most scholars would agree that the book of James is probably the, the, young, the, the, uh, the earliest letter in the New Testament, written only 10 to 15 years after uh, the, the resurrection. And so what we have in James is this window into the, in the early movement of Jesus. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know it's an incredibly practical letter. And so last week, the very first topic that James puts on the table is hard times and how God uses hard times in our life to shape us and make us like his son. Uh, and, and today we go on to the next topic that kind of logically follows is wisdom. Because when you go through hard times, if any of you have ever experienced that, you know one of the greatest needs of your life is wisdom. Like how do I respond? How do I handle this? What do I do? And so the next topic on the table is wisdom, where it comes from and how to get it. And so if you have your Bibles, I'll open up to James chapter 1 and verse 5. And there on your note sheet, we're going to enter a section called The Path to Wisdom. We're just going to look at four verses uh, very quickly, verses five through eight. So James says, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, uh, have any of you ever lacked wisdom in your life? Any guys see a show of hands? Okay, uh, not too many of you. Great. Uh, the rest of you, you might want to cut out early. Because if, if you're that smart, you got it wired. Uh, but yeah, I think most, I mean, there's times, right? There's times we go through our life, we lack wisdom. You know, it's like, what do I do with my kids? Or how do I fix this marriage? Or uh, finances, how do I get on top of that? Or this new career, that should I take this new job or not? Uh, dating, like how do I make this work as a follower of Jesus? So, so we, we all go through times where we need wisdom in our life. And he says, when that happens, if you are lacking wisdom, that you need to ask God. You know, he's the ultimate source of wisdom. And notice that he'll give generously to all. So catch this. It's not like he plays favorites here. It's not like some people get wisdom, some people don't. He says that he'll give generously to all. uh, and, uh, And he says, and it will be given to him. And so you can be confident. So he says, you're gonna go through times in your life when you don't know what to do. Times in your life, you're not sure what the right path is, uh, how to think about, how to pursue it. And, and he says, when that happens, go to God, ask him. He's happy to give it. He's not gonna make you feel bad about it. He's not gonna put you, he's not gonna put you down. He says, without finding fault, okay? And then he says, verse six, he says, but here's a condition. He's gonna lay out a condition, right? So, so God is not gonna give wisdom to everybody. He's not gonna answer everyone's prayers. We see this in the Bible, that God doesn't answer all prayers. He doesn't listen to everyone. Uh, the prayers of the righteous, those who are walking with him, who, who really wanna know and follow him, he'll answer. Those who are, are, are playing games with God, not ready to follow, he's not gonna answer those prayers. So, so, so he says, here's a condition, verse six. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. You, you need to trust that, that God loves you, that he is smarter than you, that he is able to give you wisdom, and that he will give you wisdom. He has an adequate delivery system. He's able to, to give you what you need. So you need to trust that. And of course, Jesus talked about the importance of faith. We'll talk more about that later. He says, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, who's blown and tossed by the wind. And so that man should not think he will receive 
anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man. Now, you may want to underline that, that word, double-minded. That's going to be a key, a key word today because on the surface, what this sounds like is that when you come to God, if you ask him and you have 100% faith, you're 100% convinced that he'll answer you, that, that he will. But if you have any doubt at all, he won't. And I don't think that's what he's saying, but on the surface, it sounds like it. And the key is this word, double-minded. Okay, so we're going to come back to that later, understanding what he means by doubting and who the doubter is. But it's key, this double-minded man, uh, kind of one foot in the world, one foot not, uh, who's unstable in all he does. So what he says is that as a Christ follower, uh, you, you've come to Christ, and so uh, you've entered into this new relationship with God. And when you go through uh, hard times or whenever you need wisdom, ask God. He's more than happy to give it. He's very generous, but you just need to make sure you ask with, with faith. You're really trusting he can and will do it, and you're ready to follow it. Uh, you're not double-minded, okay? Because if you, if you, if you, otherwise, you're going to go through life. You're going to be unstable in all you do. Your life's going to be a mess, all right? So that's, that's the passage. Now, in the time that we have, what I want to do is break this down into a couple core principles, a couple key principles that, that James is laying out that are absolutely critical for us to understand if we're going to grow and get smart in our lives. Like, anyone want to be a smart person here, right? Anyone to sign up? I want to be a dumb person. I want to be the idiot, right? That's my goal is to be the idiot for God. No, I mean, we want to be smart people. We want to be wise people. We want to live life the right way. And so James said, here's how you do it. And he's going to give us two very important principles. Number one, the first thing that he says, and this on your note sheet there, wisdom 101, the gift and the conditions. All right, so here we go. Number one, the first thing James wants us to understand is that wisdom is a gift, all right? That, that wisdom uh, comes from God. And he's the ultimate source. And of course, we see this all through the Bible, don't we? I think of the Old Testament, Proverbs 2, uh, verse 6, where it says, the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I think of Colossians chapter 2, it says, in Jesus, in him, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what James is saying is when you need wisdom, you need to go to God and ask because he's the ultimate source. He's the only one who can make you truly smart. That's the idea. Now, what I want you to catch, though, is I want, to ca- want you to catch something that James says is extremely important for us to get about who God is and what we can expect. And I want you to look at verse 5, one five. So he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives what? Generously. Generously. Say it again. Who gives what? Generously. Generously. And to whom? To all. Can we say those three words? He gives generously to all. So that that would include you, right? You're part of the all. And so he says that that you you need to understand this, that God gives generously. Now, this is important. He says, God is a generous God. He's not a stingy God. Now, this is very important because I think for many of us, deep in our heart, we believe God is a stingy God. Uh, that we, we come to him and we ask for wisdom, but we're not always sure he's going to give it. Or that if he gives it, maybe it's just a little bit. It's kind of a trickle. It's a trickle of wisdom. And, and that he may even make us feel bad about it. He may even put us down. He may even say, are you here again with that same issue or whatever? Or I thought you would have learned by now. It's kind of lame. Or whatever. But, but Jesus, no, this is who God is. That he is a generous God that he absolutely loves to give wisdom, that he will give it to anyone who wants to know, that this makes him happy. There's, there's nothing that makes him happier than when his kids ask for wisdom. That as followers of Jesus, you have come into a new relationship with God, haven't you? That through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you have been born again, you've been forgiven, and you come into this new relationship where God is our Father, and we are his children. And as our Father, there is nothing that he wants more for you than to get smart. Like he wants you to be a really smart person, right? Spiritually smart. Uh, and I think we can understand this. You know, you think of our own lives. Uh, I don't know if you have kids, but... Maybe if you have kids, uh, if you, maybe you want to have kids, uh, maybe you once wanted to have kids, now you've changed your mind, I don't know, but um, if you have kids, you can relate to this, uh, that, that you can relate to this, that as a parent, I mean, unless there's something you're like really whacked, I mean, if, you, that if, if, you're, if you're a parent, there's nothing you want more for your kids than for them to be wise, 
Right? There's nothing you want more for your kids for them to grow up and make smart decisions, right? Like you're passionate about your kids. Like, like my kids when they're growing up, I used to pray for them all the time. I started praying for them before they were born. And I was praying that, that they would be passionate Christ followers. I, I pray that they would be captured by the heart of God. I, I pray that they, they would love God more than anything else. That would be the defining characteristic of their life. That's what I wanted more than anything else. And I would often pray for wisdom. God, would you give them life wisdom? Would you help them understand how life works and, and what they need to do and how relationships work? And just that they would just be smart people. They wouldn't be like, like stupid Christians. You know, they'd be smart Christians. They, they would get this and, and they would do honor to your name. And, and so I would often pray. And, and so if my kids came up and asked me for wisdom, which they, they never did, they always asked their mother, but if they, if they asked me for wisdom, like, like in my dreams, you know, like if they came up and said, Dad, you're a pastor, you know the word, you know, we just want to learn at your feet. Like in my dreams, I would have this vision. Like, uh, <laughs> Like, if they were to ask me for wisdom, like, I would just, like, man, I'd give them, I'd be like, back up the truck, you know? It's like, if my kids came and said, Dad, what do you think I should do in this situation? I mean, I was like, let's back up the, I'm going to give you everything I've got, right? Because I love you, and there's nothing I want more for my kids than them to be, why? Are you with me in this? And so this is what James said. you got to understand this about your father, is that he is passionate about you. And when you ask for wisdom, man, he is all, there's nothing he wants more. And you, remember King Solomon in the Old Testament, when he becomes king, and he asks, God shows up and says, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And he says, I want wisdom. And God just goes, goes crazy. He's like, awesome. I'll give you wisdom. You'll be the smartest man who ever lived. But I'll also give you power. I'll give you success. I'll give you fame. Why? Because there's nothing that God wants more than to give us wisdom. You see? And so, and so James is, what's what he's saying, first thing you need to know about this, when you need wisdom, that God really wants to give it to you. It's his passion. And, and of course, James learned this uh, from his big brother. Remember when we talk, uh, every week I've talked about that, that in, the, in the, the letter of James, more than any other letter in the New Testament, you hear the echo of the teaching of Jesus in the background, in line after line. And man, this is another great example. There on your note sheet, I put a passage from Jesus uh, Matthew chapter 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> where he's laying out his message of his movement. And he's talking about the Father. He often talks about the Father, and, and now that we're in relationship with God as our Father, what we should expect of him. And in this passage, he's talking about prayer. And so he says, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, in the Greek, it literally says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on. In other words, we're to continue seeking God until we get the answer that we need from him. But he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. He wants to instill confidence in us. Uh, and the door will, uh, knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. And so it's this general teaching that God loves you. And unless you're asking for something that's going to hurt you, that he, he's going to want to respond to you. That's who God is. He's your father, okay? And so now he's going to give them this great illustration. And he says, so which of you, if his son asks for bread, so uh, around the Sea of Galilee, there's a lot of stones, like, like around a lot of lakes, and a lot of these round stones about the size, small, about the size of an egg, or a little, you know, size, uh, kind of a little round one, about like that. And, uh, and in their world, in Jesus' world, the bread that they would eat, the, that the common peasants would eat, was usually these little loaves of bread. They're about that, that size of a rock, and so he uses that as an illustration. He says, let's say you have a little boy, like a, a two-year-old, three-year-old, and he comes up to you, and he asks you for, for bread. He asks you for a roll. He said, um, like, which of you are going to give him a rock? Like, who would you, like, would just get off on that? You know, like, this is so cool. Watch me fool him. You know? He's like, he did, uh, we were at some friend's house the other night for, for dinner on Friday night, and, and my, uh, da- my granddaughter was there. She, she's uh, two years old, and so, you know, she, she they've kind of taught her sign language. So she, when she wants more, she does this thing, you know, more, more, you know, like more. And it's just like, it's just like the cutest thing, you know? And so, can, can you imagine that? She's like, she's asking me like, like, granddad, can I have some more, can I have some more, uh, it's Papa, but uh, can, can you ask, um, some, can, you, can I have some more bread, more bread, you know? And I'm like, oh, watch this one, I'm gonna get her, I'm gonna get her, you know? And I pick up this stone out of the backyard. Here you go. And she, she's like, chomps into it, ah! I'm like, isn't that awesome? Just fooled her, fooled her. Like, you go, man, you are weird. You are just weird. And, yeah, demented, exactly. And, and, and so, so what Jesus is saying is like, like, who would do that? Like only a weirdo would do that, right? Like you gotta be whack to do that, right? That's what you, and so here's his point. He goes on and he says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Like who would do that? 
And he says, so, so if you then, though you are evil, and notice says, you're part of the fallen race, he's talking to his father, hey, you're, you're fallen fathers, you're fallen mothers. Like, we love our kids, we don't love them perfectly, we're self-absorbed, right, we struggle with that. He says, if you, who are you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your uh, children, now underline the next three words, how much more? Will your, your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He said, how much more? It's like, like you understand this on a human level. And so James picks up on this and he says, listen, in your life, when you're going through a hard time, whatever you need wisdom, ask of God. He gives generously. He loves to, this is who he is. He's your father. He loves to give you wisdom, all right? So that's the first point. But, but the second point <laughs> is that uh, wisdom comes with conditions, and this is what he wants us to understand, that God is not going to answer everyone's prayer for wisdom. He's only going to answer certain people's prayer for wisdom, and there are certain conditions. So he's incredibly generous, wants to give, but, but he'll only give under certain conditions. So what are those conditions? Well, the first condition, and, and let me tell you, this is really like, it's like a one condition with two sides to it. So, so I'm breaking it down. I'm calling it two conditions, but it's really like, like one that it's just kind of like, like the two sides, the opposite sides of a coin, but they go together. But so the first condition he gives is faith. That, that if you ask God for wisdom, that you need to trust and believe that he is both willing and able to deliver the wisdom you need, that he's smarter than you are, that he can figure this out, and that he can, he can tell you what you need to do, uh, and he's able to deliver it to you in a form that you can understand it, all right? So, so the, the first one's faith. And so we see this in 1.6, 1, 1.5. One, if, any, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And so, of course, we see this throughout the Bible, right? That, that faith uh, connects us with the power of God. That, that it's when we trust, it's when we rely, that, that, we, that somehow that connects us and releases the power of God in our life. You see it all through the Bible. You see it especially in the life and teaching of Jesus. And I want you to think with me about this. Just, let's just think through some stories. Uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, these are all on your note sheet, the, the references, if you want to re- read them later. But uh, one of my favorite stories is about this woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She has some sort of uh, vaginal menstrual bleeding. It's gone for 12 years. And she's gone to doctor after doctor, uh, and, and, and she just can't get better. And, and so no one can help her. She's run through her life savings, and she keeps getting worse. And so she's pretty desperate. So she hears Jesus is coming to her town. She's heard about him, and she believes that he can heal her. And so she, she goes uh, to meet him, and of course, he's always surrounded by this huge crowd. And so she's got to fight her way through the crowd, but she does because she's so convinced. And so she just kind of picture her just kind of fighting through this crowd. And when she finally gets there, uh, she, she reaches out and she touches him. Now, of course, he's surrounded by people. And so Jesus, the moment she touches him, she's healed. And, and so uh, Jesus just stops everything and he, he can sense the powers got out of him. And so he, he turns around and asks, to, he says, who touched me? Now, of course, his men think he's crazy because, like, what do you mean, like, everyone's touching you, you know? And she's like, no, they're, no, no, they're just bumping into me. Like, someone touched me. Like, I felt the power go out. And so, sure enough, the woman comes forward. She's very embarrassed. You can imagine that. I will spotlights on her. She, she, she tells the story, and, and he says, go in peace, your what? Your faith has healed you right? And so we, we see this principle all through the teaching of Jesus, that when we trust in him, faith is released. We see it uh, in the story of the four buddies. They've got this, this friend of theirs who is uh, paralytic. We don't know what happened, why is that, how long, whatever, accident, born that way, we don't know. But they love this guy, and so Jesus is coming to town. So they, they pack him up on a stretcher. They take him to the house. When they get there, the place is packed uh, to the max. It's just full, and they can't get in. There's standing room only, crowds outside. And so they get creative, and they, and they go up the side. They take the stairs to the side of the building. Uh, they go on top of the roof, which is made of, like, rafters uh, that's covered by branches, covered by heavy, thick mud. And, and they start digging a hole in the dude's roof. Like, are you serious? Like, then, when you're solving a problem, you want these guys on your team. You know, these are like creative problems. So they start digging the hole. And you can just imagine him the next week filling out his insurance forms. You know, it's like, yeah, guys, dug through my, you know. So anyway, they start digging through the roof. And Jesus looks up down. Picture the light starting to come in and the dust is coming down. And he looks up and he sees his foreheads looking in. 
And, and then this thing's starting to come down. And, and the very first thing that Mark says, his first reaction was, Jesus looks at him and he says, when, when he saw their faith, right? When he saw their faith, and, and it just released his power, and he heals, he, he forgives this guy, and he heals him. And so, again, you see that principle. Uh, uh, third story, the story of the, uh, the Roman military officer, uh, fairly high up, is a centurion, uh, tough uh, military guy, you know, leading the, 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 the kind of the, the, most, the toughest force in human history at that point. And so, he comes to, he's not even a Jew, he's, a, he's you know, he's, he's, he's pagan guy, but he hears about Jesus. He's got a servant who's really sick, paralyzed. We don't know what happened to him. And so he hears about Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and says, would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come with you to your house. And he says, no, it's not really necessary. So I know how this works. Uh, I'm a military guy. I know chain of command. I give orders all the time. I don't have to personally go and get things done. I give the orders. My troops carry it out. He says, so I, I know that you're a man of authority. You obviously have power. I don't know who your troops are, but obviously you got people working for you. And so if you could, if you could just like, give the order, and uh, I know it'll be done. No need for you to come to my house. Don't deserve that. And Jesus is just blown away. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel, the people of God. He says, go, you know, be on your way. I mean, according to your faith. And boom, you know, the guy's healed miles away, right? So we see this over and over in the life-teaching ministry of Jesus that our faith uh, releases the power of God in our life. And so, uh, so obviously, James is picking up on this. And he's saying, when you ask God, you need to trust. In fact, let's, let's take a look at this. James 1 and verse uh, 6. And he says, uh, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because uh, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And the man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Because he's a double-minded man. Unstable only does it. So he says, when you ask for wisdom, you need to, to trust. And I think, obviously, this is part of the condition. That, that when we ask God for wisdom, we need to trust and believe that he will answer us. The only thing that bothers me is I read this passage, it almost sounds on the surface like when you ask, you need to be 100% convinced that God wants. Doesn't it read like that? It's like, look at verse, I think it was at verse 7, where it says, uh, uh, verse 7, but that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Like if you don't, so like on the surface, it sounds like when you ask, you have to be 100% convinced. Now, if that's what he's saying, that is bad news for me. Because I don't know if there's been a day in my life when it comes to faith, I've been 100% convinced. Have you? It's like, like when you're praying for something, you're asking God for something, like on a good day, I'm 90-10. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm 90%, yeah, this is what God's told me, I'm convinced of all it. Oh, do you ever worry? Uh, a little bit. You know, it's like, I'm like 10, I'm 10, 90% faith, I'm 10 Some days it's 70-30, right? There's been days in my life it's 51-49, yeah? Of course, there's days when it's 49-51. Those are the days I don't follow, right? And so, so, uh, so, so it, it sounds like on the surface what he's saying is that, hey, God really wants to give it, but the condition is, man, you got 100% be convinced, the thing is, I don't think that's what James is saying. It's not what he's saying, and, and it's for a couple reasons, and let me tell you why. Uh, first of all, uh, it's not what we see in the Bible. Uh, what we see in the Bible is that God honors weak faith, right? It doesn't need a lot. A mustard seed will do. And you see this all through the Bible. You know, Moses, God shows up. You're my man. Go, go down to there. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll give you what you need. He's like, uh, but I can't talk. Uh, yeah, I, I can work with that. I'll, I'll, you know, I can help you. Yeah, but I'm not, right? Does this sound like 100% faith? No, it's like he's, wait, how about Gideon? You know, Gideon's like, God tells him to go attack the Midianites, lead, lead this major revolt. And he's like, uh, I'm not really sure it's you. Um, well, if it's really you, how about if I put up this sheepskin and you can make it just like totally drenched, you know, but keep the ground around it really dry. And so he comes back the next day and sure enough, he's like, well, maybe it's a coincidence. Like, does that sound like 100%? You think of the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison, he's about to be killed. And the church is really worried, and so they're praying all night for him. And God supernaturally answers that prayer and releases him from prison. And when he comes to the door and knocks on the door of their prayer meeting, that servant girl gets so excited because she recognizes the voice, she rushes back in. God's answered our prayers. Peter's been delivered. They're like, 
you're crazy. Peter's in prison. Right? Does that sound like 100% faith? And, and so, so we see this throughout the Bible that God honors faith that's shaky faith. In fact, uh, and, and you see this in the life and teaching of Jesus. You know, we started today with a story of this father and son. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Uh, this, this, uh, this father, he's got this boy, and from the time he was, he was little, uh, he's been demonized. And the, 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 uh, the symptoms are kind of like epilepsy, but they're, they're obviously more than that because he's also deaf and mute. He can't speak, can't hear. And it's just frightening, it's terrifying, you know, because when this, one of these episodes happen, the boy loses total control of his body, flops down, goes in this thing, you know, foaming at the mouth, uh, and, and there's many times where he's almost died because it happens near a fire or water, and he's almost going to drown or whatever, uh, or get burned, and so uh, I'm sure they've done everything they can, you know, to get help, but they can't get any help, and so they hear Jesus around, they hear he's got authority to cast out demons, and so they make this trip, so obviously they've got some faith going on there. They, they, make some, they make the trip to go see Jesus, father and son. When they get there, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying with Peter, James, and John. He's actually being transfigured that day. And, uh, and so, but, you know, no problem. We got nine of the disciples left, and, and they just got back from a big ministry mission where Jesus had given them the authority to heal and to cast out demons. And so the father comes to them and says, can you help me? And they do their best, but they can't, they can't do it because it's a hard case. And so he waits around because he's not going to go home until he gets to see Jesus. And so Jesus finally comes down, and they start to talk, and, and he starts to explain to him the history, kind of gives him the, the medical history like a doctor's office, give him the medical history, here's what's going on. And right in the middle, the demon manifests itself again. I think he sees this as his last opportunity. And, and he manifests, and it starts happening right there. And I want you to see what happens in the story. It's in Mark chapter 9. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And I want you to see, it's this amazing story. Mark chapter 9, we'll pick it up at verse 20. <coughs> Mark 9 verse 20. Uh, so they brought him, they brought the boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground, and he rolled around, he's foaming at the mouth. And so Jesus turns to the boy's father, he says, how long has it been like this? And he said, well, it's from childhood. Uh, it, it's often thrown him in the wa- fire or water to kill him. Hey, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and, and help us. And so he just, he's like, man, if, you, if there's anything you can do. And, and there's kind of one word that Jesus doesn't like in what he just said. And, and what's that word? If, right? So he's like, his father, then it's like, if, I, I don't know if you can help or not, but I've heard, you know, I've heard you can do things. And, and if there's any, I, don't, I know it's a hard case, your disciples couldn't do it, but if you can help, I mean, I just have pity on us. And so, so Jesus calls them out, right? Because if is a word not of faith, if is a word of what? Doubt, right? It's like if, it's like if you can help. I'm not sure you can. I hope you can. Uh, I'm here because I think you can, but I'm not sure you can. And your men have failed, and I don't know if you're better than they are or not, but I'm not really sure, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you can. So if you can. And so it, it's a word of doubt. We've got here a guy that's not 100%, right? We, we've got here a guy that is, he's, I don't know if he's 90-10, if he's 70-30, I don't know if he's 60-40, but he is not 100%. And so, uh, so Jesus calls him on this, and here's what he says in verse uh, 23. He says, if you can, uh, everything is possible for him who believes. And so this is what we've seen through the teaching of Jesus, that faith releases the power. He says, if you'll trust me in this, anything's possible. I mean, it's like, if you'll trust me, I, I can do whatever you need. And so he, he throws this out there. Now, and here's what the father says next, and I love this because so honest and so raw. He says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed. I mean, he's at the end of his ropes. He says, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus, I, I do believe, I do, I do believe you. I think you can, but I'm not absolutely sure. I've got some doubt. I'm not 100%. I'm, not, I'm, I'm 80-20, I'm 70-30. Can you help me out here? I mean, I, I know I'm not, I'm not what you want. I know I don't have everything you wish it were, but I'm doing the best I can. It's just like I've got this little bit of faith. It's a shaky faith, but could you please help me? You know, can you, do, can you work with me here? Right? And so what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? Does Jesus say, like, man, I'd love to help you, but that is just not good enough? You know? Does he say, uh, uh, sorry, man, the man who doubts is like the, the winds, uh, like, like the wave on the sea that's blown to and fro. You can't, I can't give you anything. 
there, does he say, listen, you need to go home and you need to work on your faith. You know, that, write it on, on the mirror when you're shaving. I believe, I believe, I believe, right? Like, memorize some scripture. Read some Bible stories. Read about what God did in the Old Testament. Build up your faith. Get some people, get a prayer group together. Get your life group praying. Like, let's get this thing going here. And when you get to 100%, you come back and we'll see what we can do, right? Is that what he does? No, no, he just heals him. It's like shaky faith is good enough, right? So, so he says, uh, so in that verse 20, uh, 25, when Jesus saw the crowd was, was uh, running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirits. So look, there's more than epilepsy going on. There's a, this is a spiritual thing. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked. He convulsed him vilely, and he came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, I, I think he's dead. But uh, Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up in faith. And, he said, and here's what I want you to catch. That, that this is always the way it works with Jesus. That, that there was never, I was thinking about this week, there is never one time in the history of the life of Jesus, you see this in the New Testament, where someone comes and, and they ask Jesus for something. He says, I would love to help you, but I really can't because your faith is not strong enough. Are you with me in this? Sometimes what is not said in the Bible is as important as what's said. And you never have one illustration of someone coming with a a withered hand, someone who brings a friend who's uh, paralyzed, someone who's blind, who cannot see. You never have one example of them coming and, and Jesus saying, sorry, your faith isn't good enough. See, the very fact that they came was good enough. The very fact that they asked him, and this is what James was, God is, uh, God is generous. He is willing to ask. So come. And so, so part of what he's saying is that you need to trust. You need to believe. You, you need to be that person who goes to God. You need to trust that he can and will help you. That's definitely part of what James is saying here. But, but I think there's more to the picture that, he, that this doubter that he's describing. When he says you cannot doubt, it's more than a person who doesn't have 100% faith. That's not it. And the key to understanding who he's talking about as this ultimate doubter, the key is this word in verse eight, the word double-minded, okay? And so that that leads us to our second condition that's really the flip side of the first. And and the second condition is the word obedience. And and let me me kind of flesh this out uh, because I think it'll make more sense as we, we, that word will make more sense as we go along. But, But let's take a look at that verse again, at verse six and seven and eight. James 1, he says that when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And then he begins to talk about this doubt. He begins to define what he means by doubt. He says because he, he's like a wave of the sea, he, he's blown and tossed by the wind. Like one day he believes this, next day he believes that. And that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded man. It, it's, it's interesting, in the Greek that word is the word dipsukos. And it means like literally like two-souled. Um, two-faced, we'd call it two-faced. Um, he's describing a person that's half in. He, he's describing the person that it's like half kind of believes in Jesus, really half does it. Half following, half doesn't. Um, it, it becomes almost a technical term for James in the book. We'll see it again in chapter four and verse eight. Uh, but, but we'll also see the concept over and over again that this is one of the key concepts of the whole book of James, is that James is writing to Christians that many of them are double-minded. And and the mark of a double-minded person is a person who's one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. On the one hand, they claim to be a follower of Jesus. They're going to church. They're maybe reading their Bible. They're affirming the right things. But in their life, they're really not following him. And we're going to see this person over and over and over in James. For example, later in chapter 1, uh, James will say, be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. Because if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. When you get to chapter two, he'll talk about the relationship between faith and works. And he'll say, look, if you truly believe something, you're gonna act on that. And so if you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't act like he tells you to do, then you don't truly believe in Jesus. You're fooling yourself. And you have what he calls dead faith. And he says, dead faith will not save you. When you get to chapter four, he'll, he'll actually use the term double-minded. And he'll say, hey, there's some of you there, you Christian, you call yourself Christians, but you're in love with the world. 
You're pursuing the world. Your same old values, same old priorities. You're living the same old way. He says anyone who wants to be a a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. And so all through this book, he's talking to us about the double-minded person. So what does a double-minded person look like when it comes to prayer? What does that look like? It looks like someone who comes to God and asks for wisdom, but then doesn't do what God shows them. Are you with me? That is the double-minded person. It's the person who comes to God and asks for his advice. How do I fix this marriage? How do I handle my finances? What do I do with my sexuality? Should I take this new job or not? Uh, do you want us to move here or there? You know, uh, we, we come to God and we ask, and, and we think because we're asking that we're believers, true believers, Because we're coming to God and we're asking him for wisdom and we're praying. And so we think we're true believers. And and James says, listen, when you come to God and ask him for what to do and you're not willing to follow what he tells you, you are double-minded. You have divided loyalties. You are not serving Jesus. You are trying to serve two masters. And you remember what Jesus said, no one can serve Two masters, right? There's only one room for a one top God in our life. Like for everyone, you can't have two gods in your life. Because when push comes to shove, there's, you are going to choose one over the other. And so a double-minded person is the person who claims to be a Christ follower, someone who's going to church, maybe they're in a life group, they're reading the word, they're affirming a doctrinal statement, but they've never really surrendered themselves to Jesus. As, and so, so what happens then is James says that kind of person, they will get nothing when they ask. It's interesting, you know, over the course of my life, of course, I've had the opportunity to meet with, a, you know, to, 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 to know a lot of people who claim to be Christ followers. You know, it just kind of comes with the role. And it's an interesting thing because uh, there, there is a certain kind of Christ follower that I've seen over the years, and, and, and I, I don't know whether they're saved or not. I mean, that's between God and them. You know, like, I, I don't know. But what I can say is they claim to be a Christ follower, but there's very little evidence of it in their life. I can say that. That, that, for example, there, there's very little passion for God in their life. There, there's very little compassion for people in their life. There's not a hunger for the word in their life. I don't see change. I don't see growth. That when they fall into sin, it doesn't grieve them. It doesn't, it doesn't bother them. Uh, they, don't, they don't seem to be growing. It doesn't seem to even matter. Like None of the marks of what you think a true Christ follower would have, you don't see that fruit. And often when you, when you see this kind of person, like what you'll, you'll find is they have very little experience of God in their life. Like They claim to be a believer, but they're the kind of person that they seem to ask for wisdom and never get it. Right? They just keep making the same kind of stupid decisions over and over again. They just keep making dumb decision after dumb decision. And yeah, they're praying, they're having the life group pray or the friends pray or whatever, they got the prayer list going. But they just don't seem to get any smarter, right? They're just like, they just kind of like a dumb Christian, right? That's why they come, they just kind of dumb. And they, and they make God look dumb because it's like we're supposed to be following him, but our lives just look so dumb, right? And so everyone looks on and it's like, well, I don't want to be a Christian. Look at that. My person is like, they just keep doing dumb things. Do you understand this, that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you should be getting smarter every year, right? Right? Do you get that? You should be smart. I don't mean like intellectually, like you're doing like the theory of relativity next year or something like that. But the way you do life, the decisions you make, the quality of your life, you should get smarter every year because you're being mentored by the smartest person in the universe, right? And if you're being mentored for a whole year by the smartest person in the universe and you're not smarter a year from, something is wrong. And so this kind of person, it's like they, they, they claim to be a follower of Jesus, they're going, to, they're going to church, but they just don't get smarter. It doesn't seem to work for them, right? And then here's the good news. Here's the good news, that at some point in their life, and I've seen this happen over and over again, that God gets a hold of their life, that, that something happens. Like for example, uh, they go through a major hard time in their life and it just drives them to their knees. Have you been there? And like God has their attention. And in that moment, man, they, they surrender their life to him. They really trust him. Okay, God, I cry uncle, you know. Uh, they, uh, they have some kind of major aha spiritual awakening in their life. 
they, 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 go to, uh, they, they, they go to church and there's something, there's a particular message that just strikes them and God just like two by four upside the head. And their eyes get open and they realize how empty their life is. And they realize that they're climbing the ladder to success and it's, it's leaning on the wrong building. And it's like, my, my life is empty, you know? And, and what I thought was meaningful, and all of a sudden God just opens their eyes and there's just a hunger in their heart that I, I wanna live for something that matters. And, and I want to make a difference, and, I, and I'm tired of my life, and I'm tired, and I want to change, and I want to grow. And they really surrender to God. In, in a power, are you with me in this? This is kind of a moment in their life. And have, maybe it's a men's retreat. Maybe it's a women's retreat. Maybe it's a church service. Maybe it's a book they read. Maybe it's a friend who's praying. I don't know what happened, but, but the lights go on, and they, they really say, Jesus, I want you, and I'm serious this time. You know? uh, maybe it's that they like, come here to Rocky Peak, and they join a life group, and it's the first time in their life they've ever been around serious Christ followers. And it's not like these people are perfect, but they're really pursuing God. And you can just tell, like, when they, when they have their discussion in their life group, they're, they're really like, man, here's what I sense God telling me, or this is what I feel like you need to grow, or here's what I need to pray. And they're, they're really pursuing it. And, and this person's like, man, I want some of that. I, I've never known people like that. I want to I have the kind of relationship with God that they have. And something breaks, and, and so they surrender. Are you following this? Okay, so, so it happens in a lot of different ways, but, but they come to a new place in their life and, and there's a new brokenness and they give their life to Christ seriously. You know, they're, they're really, Jesus, I want to follow you. And for the first time in their life, they move from being a double-minded person, one foot in, one foot out, that they're totally in, that they become single-minded. They are now seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, which defines the life of a Christ follower. Like, I'm not optional equipment in the spiritual life. And so it kind of defines it. And all of a sudden, like, life begins to work for them. Right? And I'm talking about spiritual life now. Like, all of a sudden, they begin asking for wisdom, and they start getting it. Like, for the first, and they're just getting smarter all the time. And their friends can see it. They're changing. It's like, dude, you, you are getting so smart. You used to be so stupid. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, you, you used to come like every week to our life group in the same prayer request for you. You're like, you were just like, we didn't want to tell you, but you were so lame. It's like, you just never, it was never working for you, you know? And, and like, you're so smart. Like, you, like God, you're just learning stuff all the time. And so now, every, every time they come to church, it's like, wow, that message was for me. It's just speaking to me. It's so powerful. And they, they're reading their Bible and it's coming alive and, and they start praying about something and all of a sudden it says, hey, here's a cool, cool book. And they're like, okay, they start reading. They're like, wow, and here's the answer to what I was just asking for. And they, they run into people and there's new connections in their life that, that lead them to the next step. Are you with me in this? It's just like, it's just started, like they ask for wisdom and God has suddenly got generous. Like, like God is just like, suddenly, he's just suddenly he's just so quick to like answer and to lead and to teach. And they're growing like crazy. And you're like, man, what happened to God? Man, God, he's just gotten so good. It's like, I don't know, it's old age. I mean, he's just growing, you know. It's just, he is so generous. Man, he's just like, he is so good. It's like, before you call, I will answer. And it's just like, this is awesome. And like, man, wow, what happened? What happened? God didn't change. God is good all the time. He is, he is the ultimate generous person in the universe. He just told us that. He, he's just, nothing makes him happier than making you a smart person. Right? Like he, he wants you smart. It makes him look good. But his kids are smart. Right? Like no one wants a dumb kid, Right? Like, like, you have your kids, it's like, hey, man, you're getting too smart. Those grades are getting up there. We need, like, we need to bring it down. You're ashamed of this family. <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you, you're making us all look bad. I'm like, no, no, we, we want our kids to get smart, right? And, and so God says, he wants you smart. And, and so what's happened is not that God has gotten generous. It's that we got serious. And, and so now when we go to God and we ask for wisdom, we really mean it. We're not playing games. We're not mocking the God of the universe by asking his advice and then not taking it. Like when we come and say, God, I want wisdom in my life. I want to know whether to take this job. I want to honor you. Uh, I, I want to know how to raise my kids. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job. This marriage going through a hard time. I'm going through a lot of pain right now. I don't know how to manage that pain. What, whatever the thing is, that, that now... All of a sudden, God says, I love, because, because we've gotten serious. And so I have, a, I have a question for you today. Here's a question. 
not a show of hand question. This is, a, this is your heart question. The question for you is, are you a single-minded person or are you a double-minded person? That's the question. The question, how is your spiritual life working? Are, are you getting smarter? Are you getting smarter? Can you sense that? Can you sense God mentoring you? Can you sense him leading you? Can you sense him changing? And, and if you can't, I'm telling you, something's probably wrong, right? Uh, let me go. There are times when God leads us into darkness. There are times when there are dark nights of the soul when God doesn't speak. You see it all through the Bible, right? There are times when God doesn't call, we answer, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. He does some of his best work there in the dark sometimes. But, but I'm saying as the, over the course of your life, the general tenor of your life, are, are you experiencing God? When you, when you ask for wisdom, do you see that? Are you getting answers to your prayer? Are you getting smarter in your life? Are you smarter uh, this day, today than you were a year ago? Are you learning more about Jesus? Is his word more alive to you? Are you getting more perspective on what's really valuable in life? Are, are you growing as a parent? Are you growing in your marriage? Are you growing as a business person? Are you growing and learning how to impact others? Is, is it happening, right? And I'd say, if so, then great. Then you're probably a single-minded person. We're all gonna grow at different rates, and I'm not talking, we all, you know, we're all laser beam growth, but there should be growth. There should be growth. You should be getting smarter. Different rates, but you should be getting smarter. And if that's not happening, then chances are, good chance, that the reason is you're double-minded. You know, and you, so I'm going to ask you, are you single-minded or are you double-minded? Well, let's kind of, uh, let's break this down even more. Let me just give you more, a little bit more practical. Um, if, if in your life you need, you need wisdom for your marriage, here's my question. I'm sure you're asking God for wisdom. The question is, if God shows you, will you do it? Like if God comes to you and shows you the problem in your marriage is you're a harsh man and, and, and you, you blame your wife for this, but you're a harsh man and, and there needs to be a deep change in your life. Like will you receive that wisdom and will you go to your wife and will you apologize and will you ask her forgiveness and will you tell her, I, I know it's gonna be hard to change, but I'm gonna ask God to help me. I want you to help me, but my first step, I just wanna show you what God has told me, that I, I wanna own this, I'm a harsh man. Yeah, if you're a wife that's got a critical spirit and you've torn the soul of your husband out by that critical spirit, he's not this, he's not that, and God shows you, here's the first step to healing your marriage and you need to go to him, you need to ask him to forgive you. Like, like will you take that wisdom and will you act on that wisdom? Or you say, well, God, thanks for the advice, but I'm not sure that's really the issue. You see, that's often what we do, isn't it? Uh, you're single here. You want to get married. You have that, that great desire. And you, you, you want to date well. You want to honor God. And you go to God and you say, God, will you teach me? Will you have, and, and when he shows you what he wants you to do, will you, will you listen? Your finances are a mess. And you, you go to God, will you teach me how to handle my finances? Maybe there's a, a sin in your life that you've been struggling with for years. And you, you just know you need to get rid of it, but you just can't seem to beat it. Maybe it's a sin of gossip, you know, and you just talk about everyone, and, and the reason you know it's a problem is because everyone's talking about you. And, and so uh, you, you got this problem, you know, you got, it's a gossip problem. It's a pornography problem, that you struggle with pornography. You've tried so many times, and you just can't seem to beat this thing. And whatever the issue is, and, and you go to God and say, God, I, your word says if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it. And your word says that I have power in Christ to conquer this. But I can't seem to conquer this. I can't seem to, like, will you go to God? Will you do whatever he shows you? You know, or, or will you show and you say, oh, well, I don't want it that bad. You know, like I want to be free of this. I just want you to take it away. Like, I, I don't want to get accountability. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to confess my sin. I, I don't want to get rid of my computer. I, I, I just want it gone. You see, it's what we often do, isn't it? It's a great passage there in your note sheet from the New Living Translation. This is how they describe this passage that we've studied today. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty, catch that, 
what's what they call a double-minded man, a divided loyalty, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in all they do. And so, so James comes to us today. He says, men and women, let me tell you who this God is you serve. It's like this guy, he loves you. He's incredibly gentle. There's nothing he wants more than to make you smart. And so when you, we're going through a time in your, your life, you need wisdom. Just, you just need to go to him. and You need to ask him. He says, but when you do, make sure that you're trusting him. You're trusting him that he does love you and he can and will answer you. But, but even more than that, here, here's the definition of the ultimate doubter. He says, don't be a person who doubts God. Like, like when he speaks, be ready to answer. Don't, don't be double-minded. Because if you're double-minded, then you won't receive anything. It, because God's not gonna waste his time giving wisdom to someone who's not willing to take it. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for your word and the brilliance of your word. But I think of the psalmist that says, your word is perfect, and, and it is. It is so pure, and it is enlightening for our eyes. And God, you're just calling us out today. You're calling us out. You know, what does it mean to be a Christ follower instead of a church goer? And you're calling us out as a church, that so we would be a church is single-minded. We would not waste your time, that we would not play both sides of the fence, that, that we would truly be uh, surrendered people. We'd be your children that, that when we ask for wisdom, you will give and give generously because you know that we really mean it. We're serious. So we don't treat you like a cosmic consultant that, who we ask for advice and then decide whether we'll take it. And so, God, we just pray today. We pray that you would forgive us. You pray that you'd forgive us when we are double-minded. We pray you'd forgive us for all those times we've come and asked for your wisdom and couldn't understand why you didn't give it when the reality is is that if you would have given it, we wouldn't have, answered, we wouldn't have followed it. Those times we ask you how to please you, how to live for you, and the reality is we're still living for ourselves, that we have divided loyalties. And so, God, we come as a church right now. We repent of that. We ask your forgiveness of that. We want to be a people that run with single focus, seeking first your kingdom. We don't want to be divided in our loyalties. And so, God, as we go into worship right now, we pray that you'd hear the prayer of our hearts as we confess our sin and we pray for your renewal in our life, that we would truly be single-minded people and that when we ask, you would answer and that we would get smarter and the end result is that it would make you look good. You would receive the glory because your brilliance would be reflected in our lives. And as your word says, that, that people may criticize us, but they would be, in the end, they would praise God when they see the good works of our lives. The evidence is there. And so we pray, God, that you'd meet us now as we come into worship. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? Lord, that's our prayer that you'd keep us abiding, that we might bear fruit. God, we, we want to be staying in the place of your affection. Jesus, you called us to abide in your love. You said that if we keep your commandments, that we would abide in your love. And that we'd be your friends and you'd share our hearts, your heart with us. And that we would bear fruit and that our joy would be full. Then so, Lord, that's our desire. Our desire is to be that church, that people, those believers that are abiding, that are single-minded people who live for your name, your fame, your glory, to please you. People that live in the light of your affection. People have been captured by that affection. And, and that we aren't divided loyalties, people. That we are really asking for wisdom, and we're wanting it because we want to honor you. We want to grow. We want to be your, your children. We want to grow up to be like you. And so, God, we pray for that, that you'd keep us abiding. And we pray that this week your voice will be louder than all the others in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. I hope you can be with us next week. I'm really looking forward to the message. It's on self-image of all things. And uh, 
James wants to talk to us now that we've become a Christ follower, how we should see ourselves. And he says, you know, some of us uh, think of ourselves too highly and, and we're kind of proud, which is really sort of lame. And uh, he says, and there's others of us that, that we're insecure. You know, we, we may not have achieved as much as we thought we should in life. We, we may not make as much money as we, we think we, we want. We, we may not have as much education. We may not be as bright. We may not be as attractive. But for whatever reason, we, we, we feel insecure. And, and so he says, you know what? As followers of Jesus, let me talk to you about how you should see yourself. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful passage. It's a passage that, like all the Word of God, sets us free. Right? It sets us free. And he's going to talk about who we are as God's children, the destiny that we share, and how we should always keep that destiny in mind when we think about ourselves. We, we realize uh, who we are in Him. And so it's going to be a powerful time together as we redefine what it means to be His follower, what it redefine our identity. So I hope you can be with us. But until that point in time, May this be a week of uh, single-minded loyalty in your life. May, may we pursue him together. May we ask for wisdom, and may we get smarter. Because when we ask, we're serious about it. We've already learned he's anxious to give it. And so as a church, as believe we just get smarter and smarter. And our lives take on more and more glory. And, and they become more and more a reflection of his wisdom. And we become a light to the world around us. And they want to know what's happening in your life and how come you're getting so smart. And we get to tell them about the smart God that we follow, which is so smart that you'd be a fool not to follow him, right? And so may this week, maybe a, a week, that you grow in wisdom and in love for this God who loves you so much. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>